We're in Hebrews 11. Today, specifically, we're going to look at faith that pleases God. Faith that pleases God. And we're going to read about three case studies, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, three examples of faith that pleased God. So this is now, we left Hebrews 11. If you missed last week, I would say go back and listen. We looked at how faith has reason, faith has substance, faith has evidence of things not seen, but there's evidence to it. And so we kind of looked at faith in this big picture of faith does not mean you're checking your mind at the door. Faith does, mean, does, does not mean that you're not using reason. Faith means that there's evidence, there's substance, there's weight, um, there's credibility to it. And I would just say, if you missed last week, go back and and listen to that. And now here we're going to get into the first example, the first human who exercised faith. And according to Hebrews 11, that's Abel. And so we're going to read Hebrews 11, verse 4 through 7. Then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Here's what it says. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts, and though, it he being, and though it he being dead, still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For because he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, We're now entering into these by faiths and these different examples. Our three uh, case studies today of faith that pleases God, Abel, Enoch, Noah. You might not be familiar with the first two. Maybe you are, but we want to look at this more in depth. And I want to do this at home because I want to just imagine there's participation still, even though it's hard for me to imagine sometimes. But I want you right now just to repeat after me. Say, without faith, do this at home for reals. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me do that one more time at home. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the author says, but God is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so our prayer right now, our focus right now, is to diligently seek the Lord and that our faith would bring bring him pleasure. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask that we would truly exercise faith the way you described it. As we hear your word, God, would you grow our faith? Holy Spirit, I ask that your word would be spoken, that right now family members, individuals, people who are, who are, their doubts are maybe swaying them away from you, Jesus, in this very moment, Lord, would press in to your word, that you would grow their faith, that God, I myself, that our family, that our church would be a people that exercises, displays faith. God, forgive me. I don't want to be guilty of just talking about faith. Help me to really show faith. Help me to walk by faith. God, I just ask that you would do something different within our church. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fall upon us here in this room, at homes, outside, wherever people are watching this. That God, um, we would not just be the cynical, skeptical people who just doubt you at everything you say, who just challenge everything you say. 
but that Jesus, we truly, like Abel, like Enoch, like Noah, by faith, that we'd be known for our faith, that we'd be known for a really big God in which we exercise our faith in. And so Lord, we love you. We just ask that you would speak to our hearts now in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Do you remember when you first started falling in love with that one? Maybe it's your husband or wife right now, or maybe you're dating or you're engaged. But do you remember when you first started falling for someone? You wanted to know everything about them. You know, you kind of play detective for a little while. And you might know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're in that phase right now, or maybe you can remember that phase if it was a long time ago. I've been married now over 12 years, but I remember that phase of playing detective. You're like, what do they like? What kind of music do they like? Uh, what kind of food? What's their favorite food? What do they not like? Like, what's their pet peeves? And do you just remember that, like, it, it plagued you almost like, I need to know what do they enjoy? What brings them pleasure? What do they like? I remember asking Kimber's friends when we were dating some movies that she liked and food she liked. And I don't know how, but I got this idea. I can't remember the exact details of she really liked this specific food. And, and one night I planned like a, a date night on the beach and I wanted us to like just go walk on the beach and stumble upon a picnic. Like, oh, look, there's a picnic there ready for us. In my mind, I'm like, this is a genius idea. And I had a friend like prepare the picnic kind of for us. But uh, I got the idea that she liked this place called Charo Chicken. It's back in California. But Charo Chicken, I'm like, oh, she likes Charo Chicken. And I got, I got like this meal from Charo Chicken and someone prepared it. And we're like going on a walk on a beach. And I'm like, look, there's a picnic. I think we should eat there. And uh, she's like, Charo Chicken? Why'd you get Charo Chicken? I'm like, you don't like it? She's like, no, it's okay. I'm like, it's, only, it's okay. I remember that thought of like, oh no, all my plan is like ruined. And it wasn't that big of a deal. But I, I, you know, as men, maybe you get this idea that sometimes we just wish, why don't they just tell me? Like, what do you like? And we're like, why don't you just tell me? And then I think all the ladies right now are thinking they should just know, right? I know that's like my wife and I are. You're like, what do you just, just tell me what you want. Tell me what you like. And she's like, you should just know. And I'm like, ah. And maybe you've had that like back and forth. All right, here's, here's the good news. We know what pleases God. We know what brings him pleasure. And this is a really interesting thought because uh, we got, when we think about God and the way we approach God, there is so much faith attached to this idea of how do we approach God? In what way do we approach him? What brings God joy? What brings God pleasure? And it's interesting. God says, you want to know what brings me pleasure? is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. Faith pleases God. And when you think about this in that dynamic of relationships and we will strive so hard to figure out what someone likes or wants, God just straight up tells us, listen, faith pleases me. When I see my people exercise and display faith, that pleases me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, again, verse 4 through 7, and we're going to look at the, these three case studies um, of faith that pleases God. And here's, here's the idea. We're going to see worshiping by faith. We're going to see walking by faith. And then we're going to see working or waiting by faith. So stay with me on this. We're going to see Abel worshipped by faith. We're going to see that Enoch was walking by faith. And we're going to see Noah working and even waiting by faith. Now notice this. These are all things we can do. This is not some out there like we can't do this. We can worship by faith. We can walk by faith. And we can even work for the Lord and even wait for the Lord by faith like Noah. So let's just walk through this. By the way, um, notice that like he, he starts off with, you know, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and then he starts off with Abel. Uh, this is the second person ever born. This is the son of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not on this list. People wonder like, why? Why are they not on this list? Well, I think it's because they walked by sight. I think it's because they actually could see God, walk with God, know God in the garden, they were kicked out. And Abel 
is their second son born, and he is the first example of someone who lived by faith. So let's just read again. Uh, Number one, we're going to look at worshiping by faith. The story of Abel, worshiping by faith. Let's look at verse four. It says, by faith, Abel. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, his brother, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he be, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Again, Adam and Eve gave birth to their first son in Cain, and their next son named Abel. And you have the story of Cain and Abel, the, the infamous story. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. But this is the second person ever born, the first person to, to ever really display this genuine biblical faith that's described here. So let's do this. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. I do want us to look at the story of Cain and Abel because we're now going to go back and, and not just hear these stories of these men and women, but we're going to go back to them and read about their lives. So Genesis 4, turn there at home. It's pretty easy to find the first you know, chapter or first book in the Bible, uh, fourth chapter, Genesis 4. I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 4, verse 1. It says, now, Ad- now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And this is what Eve said. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I'll explain what that means. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. All right, let's stop there. The story of Cain and Abel, right? The first family has the first pair of brothers, and immediately we're going to see that murder happens. And we think our family's messed up. Here's a family that walked with God, knew God, and yet their kids, um, one worshiped God, one didn't. I want to just walk through this, this story with you because it really is so interesting. Um, I want you to remember something promised to Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there is a promise to Eve about her seed. And I want you to stay with me in this, this way of thinking. Genesis three fifteen, God uh, says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Please stay with me. There was a promise to the serpent and to Eve saying, your seed, the woman's seed, which is very an interesting play on words. Women don't have the seed, men have the seed. And the idea really kind of speaks to what we now know as this virgin birth, the idea of a woman be, being able to have a son without a male partner. And, but they didn't, she didn't really receive it that way at that time. But he says, in your seed, so your offspring, he's gonna bruise or crush the head of the serpent. So she's thinking, once I have this offspring, the serpent's head will be bruised or crushed. So stay with me. So now here comes Cain, her firstborn. And what does she say? She says, I've gotten him. Cain in Hebrew sounds like the word gotten, or many scholars do believe that's actually the word like he's here. Think about this. In Cain's mind, she's going, the one that will bruise or crush the serpent's head is here. Like whether or not she used the word Messiah or knew that idea, she knew like here he is. We're going to be out of this situation. Imagine they're kicked out of the garden. They don't know how long. They're thinking my offspring is going to get us out of here. And so there was probably so much hope in the person of Cain. 
I'm sure Cain as a young kid was even told, hey, you're the one, man. He's here. God promised that our offspring, her seed, would bruise the serpent's head, and he's here. I've never, I don't know if you've ever heard that or understood, understood it that way, but any scholar who studies this passage will say, it seems as if by Eve's comment that Adam and her thought, here is the one to save the day. And yet it turns out that Cain would be a murderer. Here's the one that we thought would get us out of this predicament. And now he's fleeing because he murdered his brother. And so think about this. Cain and Abel. Cain uh, worked in the field. Abel worked with sheep. He worked with flocks. And they both brought to the Lord what they worked with or what they, what they did. Now here's the question. People always ask, why did God accept Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. I mean, it kind of makes sense. You go, I mean, listen, Cain just worked with crops. That's what he did. He brought what he worked with. Abel brought what he worked with. Why does God seem to be like almost petty in this moment is how people phrase or ask, how do, why does he choose his, but not his? Here's the idea. Um, it seems obviously that there was a place they went to worship. They brought something to the Lord. It seems as if there's some sort of altar there. Uh, it says in the course of time, it referring to really, it seems as if there's a pointed time or a time when God said, here's the time to worship. Just like Jewish festivals, just like we, we everyone has an appointed time of worship, essentially. Churches say, here's our time of worship, 1030. Or Jewish temples, here's our time of worship. You got to bring the sacrifice in the morning or evening. There was like a time of worship. So the idea was there's a place of worship, there's a time of worship, so there's a way to worship. That God described a way of worship. Now, if you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves in fig leaves. But God, what did he do? It says he had to cover, cover them in animal skins. The point is, fig leaves weren't going to cut it. Blood needed to be shed for their sins to be covered. So here's the idea. Cain would know his parents' story. Cain's would know that they walked with God, talked with God in the garden, that they're kicked out of this garden. They're actually not living far from the garden at that, at that time. They're kicked out, but they're not living far. And so he would be familiar with the stories that God had to cover them with the sacrifice. There is obviously a way in which God wanted to be worshipped. And Cain... It seems as this, what's inferred here from the text, goes, I want to do it my way. Cain, like his parents, said, I can do it the way I want to do it. Maybe there's a sense of pride and ego within Cain of, well, I'm the chosen one anyways. Here's what I'm getting at with this story. Why was Abel's accepted and not Cain's? Um, why is there similarities between Cain and Abel and there's extreme differences? There is a way in which God wanted to be worshipped. So let's talk about these similarities and differences. It really is interesting. Cain and Abel, same parents, same family same upbringing, same teachings, completely different outcomes. You know, parents, we see that with uh, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, same family, same upbringing, completely different outcomes. So there's a lot of similarities here. Think about this big similarity. They're both worshipers. Listen, they both went to worship. One went to worship out of obedience the way God described. One went to worship the way he wanted to. And I want you to think about this idea of big picture, by the way. Everyone is a worshiper. So when I say um, we worship by faith, know this, everyone, whether or not you're a Christian or non-Christian, if you have a friend who's an atheist and says there's no God, everyone's a worshiper. Everyone lives for something. Everyone wants validation from that thing. Everyone says, if I can just do this thing, if I can just be this person, then that's their worship. Their worship maybe is self I want to be known as or known for, or maybe they're worshiping a relationship, or maybe they're worshiping money, or maybe they're worshiping, you fill in the blank, but everyone's made to worship, to live for something, to find validation and identity in something. The similarities between, between Cain and Abel are great. Same family, same upbringing, same teaching. They're, they're both worshipers. Again, know this. Again, everyone worships something. But what do you worship? I think in many ways you could say, well, Cain, didn't he worship God? It seems as if maybe he worshiped himself. 
in the sense that he's going to do it his way, the way he wants. I don't need to do it God, God's way of, of worship. Skins, blood, sacrifice, let me just do it my way. Well, then are you truly worship, who are you worshiping in that moment? See, here's the idea uh, we, we all got to realize. There is a way in which we approach God. The way in which we approach God from the very beginning has been by blood. And please hear this. With Adam and Eve, fig leaves didn't cut it. Animals need to be sacrificed for them to be covered and standing before God. God shows us from the very beginning with Abel. I accept the sacrifice where it's shed by blood. God, from the very beginning, and church, listen, from the very beginning, there's this design of you want to be able to have access to God, it's going to be through blood. See, how, do we, how does someone approach God right now today through the blood of Jesus? Meaning, people like, I know there's a saying that come as you are, and in, and in many ways, that's incredibly true. Come as you are. But know, know that you can only come to him, we have access to him through the blood of Jesus. That truly, we come as we are, but notice that they both had something in their hands. People always try to have something in their hands to offer God or to feel validated. And the real way, the real access to God is through another sacrifice. It's through not maybe your best work, like Cain, the best of what he thinks he could offer, but what God wants. And God says, you can come to me by sacrifice. And that is by the sacrifice of the blood. Listen, false religion will try to get us to worship God in, in some other way. False religion will say, you know what, just keep these religious traditions, routines. God will be accepted with those. It's not about keeping religious routines. It's about coming to God through the person of Jesus. It's about Jesus being a living and active way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That we don't try to come to God through what we can do, our efforts, our works, but we come to God through sacrifice like Abel. Abel came to God through sacrifice. Abel came to God through shedding of blood. Abel presented his gift by faith. God, you want it by blood. You want it in this way. Here it is. And he presents it to God in this way. Listen, here's the idea. We cannot try to come to God on our own terms. I know there's a lot of different ideas out there. A lot of different, different kind of like pantheistic, universalistic kind of ideas of you can do it your way. You know, your, your way, Christians, is one of many ways to the mountain. The Buddhists have their way and Hindus have their way. In reality, we can't define the terms on how we each come to God. We can't say, this is how I want to come to God. I'm going to come to God how I want. This is how I want to live my life. I'm going to live my life how I want. Here's how we do see it. God says, here's how you come to me through sacrifice, through shedding of blood. And that's what we see with the first sacrifice. That's what we see all the way through the sacrificial system, all the way till Good Friday, all the way to the, the day Jesus died on that cross, the last sacrifice, the last one, the last substitute to take our place or take the place of sin so that you and I can have his righteousness. And so here's what it says about Abel. So he offered a better sacrifice, and notice in verse four it says, through which he obtained that he was righteous. Like, this is what the Lord said, man, Abel is righteous, how? How is someone righteous? Remember, remember the very phrase, like in the very beginning, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.4 says, Abel was righteous because of his faith. Not because of his works, not because of his worship, but because of his faith. Because he heard God's word and believed it, he's, he's righteous because of his faith. Now it led to works, which we'll talk about even more when we get to Abraham. But you're righteous, you're made righteous, you're made just, you're made right before God by faith, by faith. And so he was made righteous. And here's, here's how I want us to see this church. Listen, God just wants the heart. Do we get that? Like, do I get that? That God just wants the heart of man? God's not like, God doesn't just want a piece of your life. God just doesn't want a sliver of the pie. God's not just like, give me just part of you. Okay, you have work and you have your hobbies and you have this and you have that. You have all these things. And God's like, just give me a piece of it. That's not what God's doing. God's saying, I just want your heart. If I can have your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, if I can have all of it, that's why I want all of you. If I have all of you, that's, that's what worship is. Listen, 
Worship is not just giving God what we want. Worship is not just giving God a part of it. God, you can have a part of my way, part of my living, part of my thinking, part of my time, part of my energy, part of my money, part of... Worship is God, you have it all. I, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my mind. I want to give you my soul. I want to give you my strength. By faith, he was made righteous. Listen, give it all to him. Worship is presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God. That is your reasonable service. Worship is saying, God, here's all of me. Listen, if there's any area in your life that you're holding back from God, by faith, surrender that. If there's any area in your life you've not yet given over to God, by faith, give it over to God surrender that relationship, that thing, that idea about yourself and how much money you need to have or success you need to have in order to be worthy. Whatever it is you're kind of holding on to, by faith say, God, it's yours. I'm holding on to an idea that is my thoughts, my thinking, my will, but I'm surrendering it to you. By faith, Abel was made righteous. He was a worshiper by faith. He worshiped by God. This is what you want. I'm going to do it out of obedience. And then it says, lastly, about this guy, Abel, it says, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Through it, he being dead still speaks. There's a, a verse in Genesis 4, where after Cain killed his brother Abel, do you remember God's conversation with Cain? And he says, uh, Cain, where's your brother? And he goes, am I my brother's keeper? And you remember that dialogue? Well, here's what it says in Genesis 4.10. God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Here's the idea that the author of Hebrews plays off of from Genesis 4. Um, Though being dead, your life still speaks. When you're dead, when I'm dead, my life says something, your life says something. There are a lot of people who now they they are dead, They're, they're dead and gone, and they didn't, let's say they didn't live for God, they did whatever they wanted, you look at like a Hitler or a Stalin or a Marx, like you look at some of these guys, they're alive, they're dead, but their blood still speaks. Their life still speaks. And it's not in a good way. There's other people who they're dead and gone, but they live for God. They live for eternal things and their life still speaks. The point is when you and I are dead and gone, our life still speaks. This is what it says about Abel. Hey, his life still speaks of faith. His life is still speaking. A guy named James Moffat said it this way. He said, death is never the last word in the life of a righteous man. When a man leaves this world, be he righteous or unrighteous, he leaves something in the world. He may leave something that will grow and spread like a cancer or a poison, or he may leave something like the fragrance of perfume or a blossom of beauty that, perf- that permeates the atmosphere with blessing. Your life is gonna speak or say something when you're gone. I've been to and been a part of many funerals and memorials and it's always interesting hearing family talk. Sometimes you feel like they're really talking to a person because they have to find good things to talk about. And that's always very difficult where you know the kind of life they lived. You know they're a selfish person, greedy person. They did whatever they wanted. They only served themselves. They only lived for themselves. They're not generous. They're not giving. They're not forgiving. They're not loving. And when you go to those memorials, you're like, oh, you just feel like it's forced to say good things. You're finding to say good things. Then I've been to memorials where someone just was fully devoted to Christ was humble, was served like, served, no one saw them, no one was aware of how much they did for Christ, and yet their life speaks volumes, and you go, my life and your life will speak something, and by faith, Abel, he offered worship, and listen, 
his worship led to being remembered as a man of worship. Do you remember the story in the Gospels where the woman approached Jesus, the woman who is like looked down upon, the harlot, she comes and she comes with a, this flask, a very expensive perfume, and she breaks it and she wipes on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said this, he said, this woman's, what she has done now will be shared to the, all the world. All four Gospels mention the story of the broken flask. All four Gospels talk about this woman and her act of worship. Listen, worshipers are remembered. That's all, that's all I can put it. Worshipers, God remembers them. God remembers Abel's worship. God remembers this woman's worship. Worshipers are remember, remembered because again, we, we all worship something. Let's worship the one we are made for and designed for by faith. Abel, he offered a better sacrifice. Now let's go on to number two. Uh, so we see working or worshiping by faith. Now, number two, we're gonna look at walking by faith. And that's a person, Enoch. And I love this guy because there's not a lot about him and he's just really interesting to me. Let's read. It's Enoch, it's verse five and six. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who is this Enoch guy, this man of mystery? I love this dude. Listen, it's Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. Only a few verses on his life. I'm going to read Genesis 5 to you. Just, you can turn there if you're already in Genesis 4. But Genesis 5, here's what it says. It says, Enoch, listen. Enoch walked with God 300 years, not too shabby. Um, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Like what? I, I, dude, Enoch is dope. I love this guy. He's like this weird man of mystery. Like who is Enoch? There's only two guys in the Bible who never died, Enoch and Elijah. Elijah was taken home to be with God. Enoch was taken home to be with God. Enoch's a very fascinating guy. That's really all we have. Genesis 5, 21 through 24, something in Jude, which I'll read later. But Enoch just walked with God and God took him. God's like, I love this dude so much. You're just coming home with me right now. I don't know if he's just walking home one day and then just slowly just walked into eternity. I have no idea what this looks like, but this guy was such a, a fascinating human. And here's why this is so interesting to me. For some reason, the author of Hebrews, who looks at the whole Old Testament and is reading this, goes, by faith, Abel. And he goes, you know what? My next person, Enoch. Oh, you're that, that guy there's like three verses about. He just walked with God and he was taken. I want to write about that guy. Now, uh, here's why this really interests me. Notice this. It says in verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken away. Notice that. It's the only passive thing someone did by faith. So by faith, Noah builds an ark. By faith, Abraham believed God's word. You know, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch just was taken. I don't know if he just had faith he'd be taken. Like, God's not gonna let me die. I don't know if that's, that, that's what it's referencing. By faith, he was, it's like the only passive thing we really see here by faith. What it obviously seems to be pointing to is the fact that he walked with God. By faith, he walked with God. Now, this is incredibly interesting. It's worth noting, listen, this guy, what he simply did was walk with God. He walked with God. That's it. And he's mentioned the hall of faith for walking with God. I want that to sink in a little bit. By faith, he just, he just walked with God. Do you know, there's one verse in Genesis 3 verse 8 where it actually has the first word walk. All right, so the first time we see the word walk is in Genesis 3 verse 8. And here's what it says. It says, uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Uh, in Genesis 3, the story goes that uh, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they hid themselves, cut themselves in fig leaves and God is walking in the cool of day and this is how many people take it and, and really see that this way is 
Every evening, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Every evening, God walked and talked with them. And just like their daily routine, God's walking and talking. But this time he's going, hey, where are you guys? Now, obviously, he, knew, he knows where they are. It's like a parent played hide, see- hide and seek with their kids. Like, hey, Micah, where are you? But I see you obviously standing right there. He's like, hey, where are you? And he, but he would walk with them daily. Now, here's what's so interesting. We don't see this word walk or this idea of walking with God till Enoch. So like seven generations from Adam to Enoch. And here's the first guy walking with God again. Please let that sink in. They walked with God at one point in time. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sin came into their lives. Sin came into the world, plagued everything, is slowly decaying and destroying everything. Man could no longer walk with God. So it seemed. Man could no longer have this intimacy with God like Adam and Eve once had. And now here comes a guy named Enoch who's just walking with God like, Adam, like his great, 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 great grandparents were. He's walking with God. It's that same idea. He's just, he has relationship, intimacy, friendship. The idea that, think about this, what happened in the Garden of Eden made us enemies of God. Understand that. That the Garden of Eden, what took place of the eating of the tree, made us hostile toward God. As James would say, we're enemies of God. At one point in time, we became enemies of God. You know what that means? When you're an enemy of someone, there's no peace there. There's only division. And so you're thinking there's division, man. We're waiting for this, this seed that will crush the serpent's head. Where is this person? And yet Enoch has this unique intimacy with God. And so here's what I'm trying to get at. Um, even then and still to this day, obviously, especially under the cross, he could walk with God by faith, then we too can walk with God by faith. He had intimacy with God and friendship with God we too, by faith, can have this intimacy with God. God is not just some historical figure in this old history book called the Bible. It's not that. God is living and breathing and active, and the Holy Spirit dwells and lives in us if you believe in Jesus. And, and there's not this idea that, you know, God is just some far distant God, like deism. He's out there, doesn't really care. Maybe he's there. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he does. We don't know. No, no. God not only cares, he's involved. He lives and dwells in us. And here's the idea we see from the scriptures that you can walk with him, that it is possible to walk with God. Now, now let's just talk about this. You guys notice this in the hall of faith. And it's true, some men like Moses, I mean, Moses we're going to get to, and by faith he led a nation out of slavery. Unbelievable. But think about this. This guy Enoch is also mentioned, and what did he do? It's not like, by faith Enoch built cities for God. By faith Enoch planted churches. What he did by faith, he walked with God. I want everyone to get this. I don't know what state of, of life you're in. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe you don't work and have a job. Maybe you're at home taking care of the kids and you feel like, can I really be used to make a big impact for God? Can I really be used as a person of faith? Absolutely you can. All it says Enoch did was walk by faith. If you feel like because of your circumstances, I'm stuck at home, quarantine, I'm, I'm doing this, family, kids, I'm in a weird season of life. How could I ever make an impact for God or his kingdom? Can I tell you, you can just walk by faith. It's so simple. I love this. Enoch is so great because it's not like he did something crazy, like I slayed the dragon for Jesus. Like There's nothing crazy. He just walked with God. I mean, isn't this what Jesus said in, in Mark 3? That when Jesus cho- chose the 12 disciples, he said that he chose them that they might be with him. And then they did things. But first they're with him. Listen, be with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. You can walk with him. When you walk with him, guess what? You'll start to walk like him. See, 1 John 2 verse uh, 6 talks about this idea. In 1 John 2 it says, If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Do, Do we hear that? If you walk in darkness, you don't walk with God. If you walk in light, you walk with God. Like Enoch walked by faith, guess what? We too can walk by faith. 
And then 1 John says, not only can we walk with God, but you will walk like God. 1 John 2 verse 6 says this, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So I mean, as you walk with him, you will walk like him. Church, here's, here's my hope. Enoch is in this hall of faith. Why? What did he do? He was taken to heaven. Why was he taken to heaven? He, he walked with God. Walk with God. If, if your family, if your kids, if your great-grandkids, if one day when you're, when you're dead and gone and they can say, my dad, my mom, they walked with God. They walked with God. I mean, they had friendship with God. They would go on walks at night and just pray. They would go on walks at night and just have a dialogue with God. They'd take the Bible and sit down and read. I mean, my dad, my family member, my friend, they walked with God. Listen, if you can be that person, just walk with God. Walk with God. This man of faith, who, what, what did he do? He walked with God. I just find it fascinating. There was nothing spectacular other than he had what Adam and Eve had. He had this weird intimacy, this crazy intimacy with God, and you, t- you can have that too. That by faith, by faith, you can also walk with God. And his faith is what pleased God. Now, let me just give you a subtle little, you know, caveat. It's kind of interesting. Enoch is also mentioned in the book of Jude. Jude is that like really mysterious like book right before Revelation. It's not even a chapter. It's one, one chapter essentially. But here's what it says. Jude was not only a walk with God, but he's a preacher. Or sorry, Enoch was. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men in, in these days saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, all of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. He said ungodly like five times. We have a little quote from Enoch. Somehow Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, do you want to know about Enoch's message? I just think this is a really interesting verse. He's like, here's a little bit of his message. He called out this ungodly generation that we live in, he said. He, he so walked with God, he was allowed to. He had so much intimacy with God, it was very clear. And he, he talked about these ungodly people in their day that would soon come and even more ungodly. Like, so obviously Enoch lived in a very wicked time, as we'll see with Noah. He didn't come too much after him, but he lived in a very wicked generation and yet he walked with God. Listen, by the way, it's possible to walk with God when no one else does. It's possible to feel like the world's falling apart and to walk with God. That was Enoch. It's possible to feel like no one else even believes this. No one else is even into this. Actually, Christians are not only mocked and belittled, but you can still walk with God like Enoch. You can still say, though none go with me, still I will follow. That's what Enoch was. He walked by faith. Now here's the idea. His walking pleased God. Verse six is so, so epic to me. It's so fascinating. It's so big. It says, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Um, because God is, listen, he says, for he who comes to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, I've talked to people who are atheists, they don't believe in God, and I'll say this, listen, first approach God as he is. Like I've said, like even if you don't believe that, for some reason you're confident, you're not even agnostic, like you're, you're no, there's no God, you're atheist, you're atheist, no God. For some reason you know that. Um, but I'd say, why don't you come with this mindset that you can actually know him, actually that he is, that he exists. Notice the way it's worded. Um, you must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's people I'd say to you right now, you need to believe that he is. You need to approach this idea that there is a God. And then I'd say even to the Christians, I think that there's a lot of Christians obviously who believe in God, believe God, but maybe you don't believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Maybe you don't get that. Did you know that God rewards those who diligently seek him? Like, I love this phrase. That we're told in 1 Chronicles 28 to seek him. We're told to seek him with all of our heart and mind. And it's so bizarre because I get it. I know what Romans 3 says. I know it says, none seek God, but then we're told to seek God. All I know is if I'm told to seek God, I'm gonna seek God. 
But I want to say this, God rewards those who diligently seek him. Um, if you're like, well, I sought God for like three months, diligently seek him. There is not a time frame to that. Diligently seek him to why he will reward that. I can tell you those who diligently sought him have been rewarded by that. I'm, I just started reading a book by this guy named Francis Collins. He's a, he's a scientist who helped discover the human genome. And he wasn't always a believer in God. And I think as you diligently seek God, you will find him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right now, if you're in that place of like skepticism and Christianity, and maybe my parents believe this or whatever, diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Guess what? By faith, I take that. By faith, I believe God rewards those who diligently seek him. If I see someone rewarded, I'm going to be like, they probably diligently sought him. I'm not going to be all skeptical and cynical. By faith, believe he is. By faith, he belie- believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. James says, when you pray, you better pray believing it's going to happen. Isn't that crazy? James chapter 1, verse 5. I actually want to read it because it's so profound. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And listen, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Anything. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So for you Christians who pray, but you pray doubting, for you Christians who pray, but you don't believe God's going to actually answer it, he's like, don't even pray. If you're going to pray for it, believe that he will give that. First of all, it's about wisdom. And he's like, anything, anything. If you're going to pray about anything, pray that God responds that way. Listen, that does take faith. Because I get it. You could, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? I didn't write the Bible. I would say pray in faith. I would say p- pray believing, expecting. Approach God with this mindset. I, you know, in our small group this week, I wasn't going to share this story, but one of our guys shared this. It was so profound. I thought it was great. There's a woman at his work who's struggling to have kids. She had a couple of miscarriages. She was just destroyed. She's, ter- you know, just terribly sad, of course, like anyone. She could not have kids. And he, she, he said she shared this story. She felt like God was telling her, go out and buy clothes for the child. And not just clothes in general. And she bought specific clothes. She bought, I think it was a, she was a girl. She bought specific clothes. And before she even was pregnant, she went out and bought clothes. And she got pregnant by God's grace. And she found out she's having a girl. And I, the reason why I love that story, because I know it doesn't always work that way. But sometimes we go, God, you know, like that prayer, God, I want to have a kid. Would you please? But she's like, God's going to give me a kid. I'm going to go out and buy clothes. And I'm going to buy specific gender clothes. I mean, that's unbelievable faith. I'm not saying just do that. I'm saying if God gives you the faith to do that, do that. If God has placed that on your heart, obey that word. God's not telling everyone to go out and buy those things and to get into debt. Not, that, that's not what God's saying, but he's saying, if that's what I place in your heart, be obedient to that. And so listen, by faith, by faith, by faith, you cannot please God without faith. And this is what he was known for. And he just went straight to heaven. He just walked into heaven. He was walking with God and walked straight into heaven with God. And listen, you can, you can please God by walking with him. So worshiping by faith, walking by faith. Now Noah, listen, here's what we see. We're going to see working and waiting by faith. The story of Noah, you might know it, but verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned, listen, of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he commended, condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according 
to faith. Now, I know that some of you might be familiar with Noah, maybe not so much. Maybe all you have in mind is like that Hollywood Noah movie, which is just definitely not the story of Noah. But whatever it might be, we have like an idea of Noah. Here's let me something I want to just clarify. For those of you who struggle with the story of the, nut, the, the flood and, and Noah, um, know that Jesus does refer to Noah as a real person and the flood as a real event. Okay, so Jesus, who we believe obviously in him, his death, his resurrection, affirms Noah's life and affirms the flood. And it is fun. I got to take a, 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 geog- a geology class, and it's fun to study different parts of the globe where you see flood-like evidence. And people are like, no, just partial floods in the Colorado mountain, and partial floods in Argentina, and like how all these little mini floods everywhere. There seems to be this global flood that took place. Anyways, we're going to move on, but you see by faith Noah, here's this idea that there's going to be rain. Noah, at his time, and no one has seen rain. Rain has not yet happened yet. God's like, it's going to rain. He's like, what's that? It's like, well, it's when like, water falls from the sky. So Noah had to hear of something that wasn't even real yet to them. That wasn't even a part of the, the way the earth functioned at that time. And so it says this uh, in Genesis 6 verse 8. I love what it says about his life. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found, so God's looking at the earth and it's incredibly wicked. Know that in Noah's day, it was like God it was grieved about man. He was grieved about making man. And yet he sees Noah and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love what one commentator said. He's like, it, he's like, don't think about that. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in that way. Think about it like Noah was staring into the face of God and he saw grace in God's eyes. The idea being that Noah and God obviously had deep intimacy, just like Enoch, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here's the idea. God said, hey, there's gonna be a flood on the earth. But build this big boat. Imagine, build this giant boat liner in the middle of Kansas. He's in an area where he's not surrounded by ocean. Uh, we have a photo we'll put up for you of, and it's not the middle of Kansas. Uh, there's a Christian organization that built exactly to the details the ark in the size and the weight, or in the, the length, the height, with gopher wood, with pitch, everything the way the Bible described to build the ark, you can actually go and see that. I think it's crazy to see it that way. Uh, just so you can kind of imagine how this event took place and what it was like. So imagine Noah's building this thing in the middle of nowhere and people are like, what are you doing? And there's mocking, there's belittling. And we're even told, listen, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we're told that also Noah was a preacher. It, it says, if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, who was a herald of righteousness, Noah was a herald of righteousness. Noah was also a preacher like Enoch. Noah was also someone who was saying, listen, you need to repent, believe in Jesus, a preacher of righteousness. Here's what I'm trying to get at today. Noah worked by faith. Noah waited by faith 120 years from when he was told to build it to when the flood came. 120 years. Noah had to work by faith. Noah had to wait by faith. Hey, there's gonna be rain. What's rain? Yeah, you'll see. Um, And there's gonna be a flood. And you're gonna build a giant boat in the middle of nowhere. And it just says, Noah prepared the ark. By faith, listen, by faith he prepared. James 2.26 says, faith without works is dead. So here's the idea. You hear something from God's word. Without works, it's dead. If you say, I believe God, I believe in Jesus, I believe fully in this. Does your life display works? Well, of course not. I believe it though. No, no. True faith will have works. Okay? Faith without works is dead. Are we saved by our works? No. We're going to get into this a lot more next week with Abraham. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. But true faith will lead to works. By faith, Noah said, God, you said a flood's coming. You said rain's coming. I I believe that. I'm going to walk into that. I'm going to enter into that. And so by faith, he believed. He entered in. By faith, he prepared. And I think this is so good for us. Listen, church, 
if Jesus says something, places something in your heart, you read God's word, and it doesn't make sense to you. You don't want to submit your ways to God's ways. You don't want to do life the way God described. You don't want to do sexuality in his, God's way. You don't want to do money God's way. You don't want to do relationships God's way. Listen, submit it to the Lord. Like, give it over completely to him. Because faith without works is dead. Because you can say you believe in Jesus all day long, but if there's nothing to back that up, that's not true faith. There will be genuine faith that is displayed and seen. Think about it this way. It's the person who's like, yeah, I believe airplanes can fly. Of course airplanes can fly. I see an airplane flying. It's like, okay, we'll get in the airplane. Well, I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna do that. It's like, no, if you truly believe in it, you'll put yourself in it. I believe in it. I believe in Jesus. Well, put yourself in Jesus and let him take you. Let him carry you. That is the idea of, I believe in Jesus. Good. Even the demons believe in God and they tremble. Some people believe in God, they don't tremble. Even the demons believe in God and they tremble. And yet, what about you? Do you believe, does it lead to true action, true lifestyle, true change? That, that's what we see here with Noah. And so by faith, he prepared the ark. And there's a phrase that's really interesting. It says, by which he condemned the world. And the question's like, was he preaching condemnation? What does that mean? What does that look like? I think when you see a guy who's so in tune with the Lord and so obedient and building an ark in the middle of nowhere, I just think his actions alone condemn the world. You know, there's a story of, of Billy Graham who went out golfing with this unbeliever and Billy and him spent, you know, a few hours together and the guy didn't have a great golfing day and he's walking back to a car with one of his friends and he's like, gosh, I can't stand Billy Graham. He's like, why? He's like, man, he just preached at me the whole time. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, maybe he didn't say anything, but his lifestyle just like, condemned me the whole time. And, and I think that's the idea here with Noah. It's not so much that he had to condemn by, by words as much as his lifestyle and actions. Listen, by which he condemned the world because his life was just all in. Uh, the, it says this in Genesis 7, 5, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Nor, Noah did that all that the Lord commanded him. If the Lord said it, he did it. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be known for? Hey, the Lord said it, I did it. Build an ark, okay, what's that? Let's go for wood, where is that? Okay, let's do it. And he just by faith, he obeyed. And then it says this, he became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. If you will notice, listen again, verse four through seven, whether it's Abel, Enoch, or Noah, it's pointing their faith to the righteousness. Same thing with Abraham next week. But you're gonna see, each time their faith is mentioned, it's attached to righteousness. It's attached to holiness. And you want to know, how am I made right with God? The just shall live by faith. How are you made right with God? Faith. If you're still not exercising faith, do you truly believe God? Do you truly believe in him? Do you truly believe in Jesus? This, it's going to carry out into how we live and move and work. Now, here's my last thing I want to share with you guys. Jesus referenced Noah in Matthew 24 and basically said, hey, remember the days of Noah, how evil and wicked they are? So too will the world be when I return. And here's the thing. Noah prepared an ark for his family's salvation. Noah said, if I build this, me and my family will be saved. I want you to know this. We live in a very similar time as Noah. According to Jesus, the end of days will be like the days of Noah. God was grieved over man in Noah's days. My, my point is this. Um, we too have an ark of salvation, and that is Jesus, and that is the cross. And we too have a way to be preserved. We too have a way to not feel or experience the wrath of God because of our ark of salvation, Jesus. I would say put your faith in Jesus. God is holy. God is just. God is gracious. God is good. God is merciful. But just like, listen, in Noah's days, judgment came, and according to scriptures, judgment is coming. 
but it doesn't mean that you have to experience it. You too can be preserved in that ark of salvation. You too can say, even though when the wrath of God comes like it did in the days of Noah, I'm going to be spared from the wrath of God because of my ark of salvation, because of my Savior Jesus, because I'm in him, because I'm protected by him. Listen, believe in Jesus. If you have not yet received Jesus, if you've not yet put your faith on Jesus, you know, what are the works you must do to be right with God? Believe on Jesus whom the Father has sent. How can I be right with God? Believe on Jesus. It's not saying do this great thing, go plant these things, spend all of your money, do this. We're not asking for anything. We're saying you believe in Jesus. God does not say do these things and I'll accept you. He says, I accept you because of Jesus. I prepared the sacrifice. I prepared the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. His name is Jesus. Believe in Jesus. I'll say church, press into the person of Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Worship by faith. Walk by faith. Wait for the Lord by faith. Work by faith. That's what these men did. None of it was crazy profound, so really so far, maybe Noah's, but none of it, when you look at Abel and Enoch, it's like, man, they worshiped and they walked by faith. They, they worked by faith. We too can have the same faith these men, and we'll read later, these women had. We too can have the same kind of faith that just says, God, you said it, I believe it. I receive it, I walk in it. I would love for us to be a church that's known for our faith. I would love for us to be a church that says, we believe in a really big God. So though I have small faith, it's not about my faith, it's about the object of my faith and I'm going to walk by faith. Amen? I'm going to pray. I'm going to put some questions up. We're going to put some questions up for you guys. Uh, I hope this creates some really good dialogue today in groups. So let's just pray, and we'll go to that. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can study your word, that it's by faith, by faith, by faith. God, help me personally. I don't want to be a hearer of your word only. I want to hear your word and let it increase my faith, grow my faith to the point where I now display it and live it. God, I just pray for our church that we would not just believe that you are, but that you also are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so Lord, we want to seek you individually, collectively, in groups, in in our lives. Jesus, we want to seek you, God. We do ask that you'd give us your word specifically over things we're praying for, that God, we'd move in faith, that God, we want to gather in person. We ask God that it'd be sooner than later we can gather. We ask for a permanent space that we can gather in, God, we just ask that there would be miraculous ways you would show up and intervene and provide. And Jesus, we believe that you already have and you will do that, that you will miraculously show up and provide. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we can come to you by faith, worship by faith. Though we don't see you, there's evidence of you who's not seen. And so we worship you, we praise you. God, you are so good. Increase our faith, we ask, as we continue to walk through this in your name. Amen. We're going to put the questions up in just a second. I want to remind you one last time, there are some backpacks or there are backpack drive we're doing. Buy a backpack, fill it up with supplies. Look for our newsletter for the backpack supply list. We would love for you to be part of this. We'll put out a future date of when we're going to collect the backpacks. But as of right now, just start doing that. Um, Also, if you'd like to give, you can give online. uh, You can write a check. But we would just love for you to be able to uh, still participate in that way as we meet the needs of our community. And again, here are the questions. If you want to discuss these with your husband, wife, friends, uh, in groups this week, again, go to online, go to our digital groups, and sign up for groups. You can be part of this. That is it. We love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you in groups. Cannot wait for more through Hebrews 11. That's it. Love you all. Bye.